This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You are listening to the Bowhunter Planet Podcast, Season 6. The podcast is supported by Scent Crusher, Scent Off Game On, Tinks, Cat Work Truck, Victory Archery, Thorn Broadheads, Shadow Hunter Blinds, Cobra Archery, Burris, HHA Sports and HHA USA, Reveal Cellular Cameras, and Deer Camp Coffee. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to the Born Plant Podcast. Dave Thomas here along with Tim Mazzarana. Uh, today we got a special guest. Uh, he is another YouTuber, but he also has an amazing store. And that's one of the things I want to kind of talk to you guys about tonight with him. Um, Josh Jones, welcome to the show, my friend. Uh, mo- most people know you as a podium archer and uh, it reflects obviously your store and, and it's, it's a very cool thing. So how's it going, man? How you been? Uh, fantastic. Really. Uh, just been trying to keep up. There's not enough hours in the day to try to do it all. And, uh, the response that we've gotten over the past several years has been incredible. So it's just growth upon growth upon growth and then trying to manage and maintain that and find hours in the day becomes tricky, but I've been doing great. Can't complain. Too are, much. are you, are you finding, so a lot of the feedback, cause we're not at like a bow shop, so we don't, mm-hmm. we don't see it from your level when it comes to consumers buying things and, one of the things that's been going on for us, at least that we're noticing in the industry is a lot of, you know, bows are hard to get. Like they're just, I feel like, you know, companies are, you know, lining them up, trying to get them out to you guys to sell them and all that. I mean, are you guys still seeing that like hard to get demand or has it been easier to get the bows this year? Um, well, that, that's, it's similar to last year, but it's not quite as bad uh, in, in my experience, but um, we're kind of a little different animal when it comes to that. I'm, I'm pretty good about forecasting and uh, being in lo- constant communication with the manufacturer on what their lead times are. And then I overorder accordingly. So because of that, I rarely ever run out of stuff. I almost always have it, but you know, I'll have like right now, for example, in Excel, I have an order every two weeks for the next year and a half wow. and individual item orders. Like they're in the system already. So when they start to backlog, I can find out where they're changing that and go back and modify it and add to it. So it helps compensate for it. And most manufacturers will work with you that way if you just give them a picture of what to look at. But uh, like bows, I've I've been ordering bows for six, eight months ahead um, wow. and in more, more than I expect to sell. And then if I end up to where I have a surplus at some point and it doesn't look like they're moving, then I'll cancel the extended orders that are past that. But like I placed orders for Matthews in mid mid to late September. I mean, I didn't know technically what they were, but well, mm. technically I, I did, but they, they still didn't uh, have access <laughs> right. to them just because of, because of uh, 
building Dan's bow. So I saw one of them because he got that early. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I I turn stuff in really early and in high quantity, and I take risks in a lot of it. You know, a lot like not knowing how the bows are going to be perceived, not knowing even knowing how they feel. I just order a bunch. You know, my opening orders with every bow company was 100 bows minimum, and Matthews was 200. And as soon as I got the bows, I went back and reordered again and again. And I will I will talk to most of them weekly and ask what their lead time is, and monitor that. And as it grows, I just order more to compensate for that but it's it's kind of scary and risky you know you end up with a bunch of stuff at a certain point but i've haven't experienced that in the last two years i've just sold what i've gotten and it's just been a lot you know yeah what's your feeling on um what's your feeling on the consumers and their thoughts on the pricing because i mean obviously you know i I mean i know you know this too because you got a youtube channel as well and some of the comments i'll see a lot of people like oh these prices are getting outrageous and da 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 Mm -hmm. i guess what Mm -hmm. are you seeing from your level like and the sales portion of it when people come in to look at a matthews a new hoyt a new prime do they care the prices eleven twelve hundred dollars or they really don't care at that point I think 11 to 13 has become the new normal for most people. It's the ones that are above that that start going, okay, what the hell? You know, there's one out of 10 people that will even look at it at that point. You know, they don't want to fire it, but they have no serious interest in spending eighteen, $1,900 on a bow. But um, I, I do get that as well. I mean, we were, I think, 100 to $150 a bow higher this year than last year across the board and almost every vendor and everybody we dealt with. And, um, I don't hear too many complaints, but we're also in a kind of unique situation. We're not in the, in the middle of town. We're kind of off the beaten path. So we really only get people that are really looking and are really heavily interested. And they probably have an idea of what they're looking at financially before they ever come to see me. So I don't get as many complaints as they would, but my social media stuff and my, my YouTube responses, there's a lot of comments about that. And I, I think it's, I think it's relevant and I think it's real. Um, we're, we're experiencing inflation just like everything else and sure. a 10% increase isn't ridiculous considering everything else that we're seeing across the board uh, for companies that couldn't get, couldn't get aluminum all year, couldn't get materials, couldn't keep up with demand. I mean, to see a 10% hike, I know it, it's, it's a hundred or $150, but at the same time, I mean, it's only 10% for something that was very hard to get and you couldn't keep in stock and, you know, and their costs and their employment costs and everything went up too. So I think 10% is really pretty reasonable. That being said, it'd be nice if we were still under a grand for a bow, but I, I, I don't think it's really realistic. I think we're going to see growth and we're going to see with that increase and there's no way around it. How, how often do you see um, your, your customers repurchasing a bow? Do you see them upgrading their bow every year? Um, I'd say 10, 15 years ago, we probably saw that a lot. We saw a good percentage of people do a trade-in every year. Um, this year we've had a pretty good amount of trade-in, um, especially on Matthews because the, uh, we turn our, uh, our trade-in bows in and turn around and sell them online because they're used at that point and there's no rules against selling them online. And the Matthews especially seem to bring us still a really good penny for their used stuff. So it's not as hard to bite off. I mean, I think we traded in two bows today. I traded in a, a, P, a PSC uh, NTN 33 and a, uh, I think a V331, I think we turned in two. Um, so we'll trade in bows daily and just move them on. But I'd say maybe one out of 10 or 20 people might be considering a yearly purchase. It's really more a three to five year rotation for us for the most part. 
Um, but if they bought last year's Matthews and they see this year's Matthews and they like it, it's more likely just because it doesn't cost as much. You know, it's only going to cost you $300 or $400 yeah. to make that jump instead yeah. of five or $600 or worse, depending on what it is. So do you see a lot of people switching brands when, when they're doing that, or if they bought Matthews, they're sticking with Matthews. I think, um, I think it's 50, 50 in that. I think you're seeing, uh, a reasonable amount of people that are brand loyal, no different than Ford guys or Ford guys and Chevy guys or Chevy guys. And then the other half authentically try everything and have an open mind. Now, if they already have integral components that only fit on that bow, that makes it a lot harder to make that jump. Like if you've got an integrate rest Matthews or you've got a Matthews quiver on your Matthews bow, it's harder to leave Matthews because now I got to buy a quiver. Now I got to buy a rest. So that same venture just costs yeah. another $400 or $500 more or what have you. Um, so, but I'd say it's 50, 50 on that. Makes sense. As far as the, um, products you have that would go with like, let's say, um, the new Matthews bow with the, the new, uh, bridge lock, do you, do you guys already care? You already have sites that actually fit that specifically, or are those still like something you, you, you have a hard time getting? Uh, that is probably the thing that's the hardest to get currently out of everything in the industry that I can see. Um, we have probably a dozen to 15 of their of the matthews site itself the one that excel makes one um and that is uh something we can, weren't allowed to ship so you have to walk in the store to get it so those aren't going to run away uh excel is on an eight month backlog on average so i wow. really i love the fact that they made a universal dovetail for products and what have you i think that was a great idea i just really wish they didn't pick that brand because they're the most backlogged <laughs> so <laughs> that part kind of sucks um we get uh we we try to, to treat the accessory companies the same way we treat the bow companies just blanket orders over long periods of time and hopefully it works out and in general most of them do and i'm starting to get to the point with spot hog now that i've had those blanket orders in for so long i keep getting fed so i keep getting product i probably have mm, 50 or 60 dovetail spot hog products in the store that have the new Matthews hardware that will oh, line cool. up left to right for them. We, we just got a batch of that. Um, so it does line up left to right comes with the appropriate stuff. Uh, Excel stuff. I probably still won't see for another four months and then black gold. They have enough windage in their site to compensate for that without an issue. You just need the right dovetail. And we've received 75 of those dovetails so far, but I ordered 200 of them as soon as they released it. Cause it, it coincides with every, older site that they had so if you have a three-year-old black gold site there's a good chance you can just buy that dovetail put it on a matthews v3 nice. bridge lock and rock and roll so that's that's been a, a nicer way to do it we we buy the way they priced it um, you can buy just the direct mount site and the dovetail and it costs the same as ordering the site with a dovetail on it so you have more options at that point so as long as i have yeah. that little bridge lock part that that dovetail piece every black gold site I have works on that bow and it opens up the door for more options. Uh, Excel assume, didn't price it out that way. I assume though that people that buy that bow want one of those for sure, because I mean, why, I mean, that's like one of the main reasons to buy it, right? Well, <laughs> they probably don't um, want to run the old site. I actually think uh, it boils more down to the quiver uh, because the quiver is so oh, tight yeah. and light. Okay. So, cause you can still run just about anything in that bow without an issue. It's when you go to yeah. put that quiver on, you have to have an integrated style rest. And you have to have an integrated site or it's going to touch. Now you can use the, yeah. uh, the low pro one and a really shallow direct mount, like, um, like the spot hogs direct mounts, pretty skinny. Uh, Black gold's mountain light series is pretty skinny. So you can usually sneak that quiver in and not have an integrate. 
but without the uh, without the integrate dovetail option, you're kind of hosed there with with anybody else's stuff. Um, but if you use the two piece, it's actually tighter to the bow. It's like a quarter inch closer, so you can't clear anything. Like you have to integrate, and even your your epsilon, which mounts on the side and goes behind, but clears everything else. On that low pro two arrow number five coming from uh, front to back at you gets really close to touching the rest so it's like the first one you pull out of the quiver to make sure it doesn't touch and that's with an epsilon that's tight the uh, the mx integrates clear uh, enough that you don't have to worry about that touch but that it's just so tight with those things yeah tell us a little bit about your your, your store itself like uh, what brands do you carry um you know how big is it i guess give us a little insight you know for people have been there like where's it located that type of thing so we're we're just outside of Spokane, Washington, in what's technically known as Green Acres. It's uh, we're in between Spokane and Coeur d'Alene on the Washington Idaho border in Washington. Um, we started off as just a uh, a small little pro shop originally when um, when my dad was around. We had a general sporting goods store in downtown Spokane. We're there for 22 years and then moved out to the country out in Green Acres, and so we could be on an outdoor shooting facility with an indoor range, outdoor range and all that, and just do archery. And that's a 3000 square foot building that we added an upstairs onto that's another 2,500 square feet. So we're about 5,500 square feet. And uh, we have a 20 yard indoor range. Uh, we carry Hoyt, Matthews, Bowtech, PSE, Elite, Prime, Mission, Diamond. Um, I think that's it. I try to keep them all straight, but it's a lot to, to keep in. And we're a dealer yeah. for everything under the sun. <laughs> Uh, so whatever, whatever people are asking for, I will bring in, it doesn't matter to me. Um, and every bow manufacturer or just about every bow manufacturer is capable of making a good bow. So I try to keep open accounts with all of them. And if somebody makes something that really sparks my interest or really well competes, um, I would definitely bring that product in and add it to my mix. Cause we, we sell enough of them anyway, that I don't have to worry too much about losing a brand because I didn't sell enough of their product. It's so. awesome. <laughs> Yeah. So do you get do you get a lot more and I, I just not familiar with that hunting area out there, but do you get a lot more like um, Western style shoots where they're going for elk or mule deer, that kind of yeah. thing? Or is it more whitetail? Yeah, no, that's way more, way more common. Like in the state of Washington, you can hunt uh, Rocky Mountain elk, Roosevelt elk, mule deer, whitetail deer, blacktail deer, bear, cougar. Uh, you can do two bears a year. I mean, we got a real big mix and wow. then you can draw moose uh ram goat and uh i'm forgetting one um we got quite a variety and we have some antelope but there's not enough to hunt yet uh and there's even some caribou in the far north portion of uh, washington but not enough to hunt so we've got a really broad mix now the seasons aren't great they're they're pretty strict and a lot of that stuff like the draws for moose or bighorn or goat um takes 15 years to draw one on average you know it's gonna be hard uh, but we have quite a variety of stuff. So we have a good mix of everything. But there's a lot of open country scab land. There's a lot of mountain, really mountainous, thick timber areas. I mean, we have kind of almost every kind of terrain. But I would say most people in this area that are building a bow are building it with the uh, Western style hunting in mind. You're probably going to shoot a little farther. Uh, we have a lot of steep, steep mountain areas. So you can like be on one side of a mountain and shoot across the other side of the mountain because they're wow. like this. And, and then hire somebody to go get it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll frequently like be on one side, and you'll call an elk into the other side, and they'll sit there and try to find you. 
Well, in some instances, that's only you know 70, 80 yards. So you can get pretty close and not even be on wow. the same freaking mountain in certain instances. So that's but it crazy. just depends on where you're at. You know, if you head west and south of here, it's flat, it's scab land. You head north, you're up in the mountains, you head east, you're in the mountains, you head northwest, you're in the mountains. It's quite an interesting variety of terrain in this area. It's it's very unique. You guys get milder nice. weather over there because of where you're located with the no. mountains? It varies a lot. I mean, we've, we had a pretty decent amount of snow this year. And I swear when I was, uh, when I was younger, we got more than we do now. Um, but I would say, you know, we usually get a, a foot or two of snow a year, a certain amount of precip and we get a ton in the mountains, it stays in the mountains, but down here, we will have a month or two where we have to remove snow regularly. And then we'll get weather where it goes from freezing to not freezing, freezing to not freezing constantly. Yeah. Uh, most of pretty much all our snow is gone now down low and up high, it's already starting to go. So, but it, it, it varies. We'll have one year where it's brutal. We'll have, you know, two feet of snow on the ground for three months or plus. Wow. And then you'll have another year where you got snow five times, but the mountains always get it no matter what. Yeah, so, well, that's a good mix of hunting out there, man. You guys, you guys got yeah, quite yeah. the uh, quite the selection of animals. I think uh, you're you're talking about how long it takes to get elk tag and that kind of thing. It's kind of similar in Michigan, believe it or not. We have a there, there's a there's a herd in Michigan, um, upper part of the lower peninsula, of Michigan, and it takes about 20 years to get a tag for that as well. So you only get one. Um, that's kind of like the that's kind of like yeah. the Michigan dream hunt there. So. Everybody gun yeah. hunts them because it's you only get it one time so there's yeah. no second chance like you're not you're not getting close enough because michigan's all flatland there's no it doesn't work like you can like i, I haven't <laughs> done colorado or you know washington or anything like that so i don't understand like the mountain stuff compared to like yourself but sure. here it's flatland so like when you see a deer at 80 yards out you're not getting close to that deer i mean it's not going to happen so in sure. this case same thing and and so most people will do a gun here uh, when they pull that tag for their first time, but it's the odds you'll never get another one. So, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> so do you, do you guys sell broadheads too? Yeah, yeah, we sell okay. all kinds of broadheads. So what do you what do you usually? I mean, I, I don't know what the percentage is, but are, are, do you see guys more fixed or mechanical? Uh, we still we still primarily sell more fixed and what, what you have to kind of see in our mix is most people are building and buying their stuff with the intent of hunting elk and then they'll go hunt deer with that and it's still more common to see a fixed blade broadhead get shot at an elk than uh than a mechanical just because of the loss of penetration a little more resistance and you're dealing with you know 800,000 pound animals instead of 200 300 pound animals and the hide's a lot yeah. thicker like a lot thicker so we yeah. definitely sell more fixed blade than mechanical, but it's mechanicals are legal here. They're legal in Oregon. They're not legal in Idaho, but they're talking about legalizing that this year and they're legal in Montana. So there's a lot of States that you can hunt elk and you can legally use a mechanical. They're just not super common. And when we do sell mechanicals to people who elk hunt, they're usually smaller cutting diameters, you know, like a Grim Reaper fatal steel. It's got a smaller cutting diameter uh, for the guys who have to use a rage, their uh, plus P series, there's a smaller cutting diameter, so it penetrates a little better. I've shot um, three or four elk with one of those, and I've I've always gotten penetration out the other side without too much of an issue. But uh, when I shoot a fixed blade broadhead, I will typically go clean through and keep going. And when I shoot a mechanical, you'll go through and poke out the other side, but you won't necessarily have your arrow completely pass through and be on the ground somewhere behind it. So. Uh, just because of the size of the animal, we'll typically not see as much mechanical sales, but it's still probably, it's still probably 40% of our local sales. And then online, of course, you're going to sell more mechanical. 
Yeah. Or most elk hunters, um, most are most elk hunters shooting 70 pound bows. Yeah, that's definitely most common. Our, we probably sell, I bet you we sell 90% 70 pound bows here. Wow. Um, now, granted, with like Matthew's system, for example, I mean, our, we're our biggest sellers, Matthews, and you just change modules to change weight. So that's not a accurate assessment, but most guys who are getting the module and the bow when they buy it and leave are getting a 70 or 75 pound mod. It's way more common. Um, I personally have a 60 pound bow that I build and use for deer hunting and bear hunting. And I don't use the extra weight because I don't, I don't feel mm-hmm. I need it, but I still yep. shoot 70 plus pounds of elk. Um, but I, I pull those every day. So it's not like it's a, a burden by any means yeah. to pull it. But you know, the average guy might be a little more of a struggle. But yeah, we're definitely selling more 70 pound bows than anything. What would you say the average draw length is that you see the most common? So the most common draw lengths go from 29, 28, 28 and a half, 29 and a half, 27 and a half, 30. And it keeps branching out from there. But 29 is still the most common, even though 28 to 28 and a half is probably realistically more common, but more people shoot too long a draw length. So you run into that more often than not. People tend to overbow themselves. It's a, you know, it's a small man syndrome thing. I think for one reason or another, almost everybody shoots too long of a draw length. If I ever sit down and look at somebody and analyze what they're doing, I'm almost always saying, can you take a half inch off of this to an inch off of this? You're overextending yourself too much. So, but now, yeah, what 29 do you rec- is most common for sure. What do you recommend for, um, we just had this conversation on a different uh, podcast. So I was going to ask you the question since you're in a shop doing this every day, when sure. you have a, uh, when you have an arrow and let, let's say someone's 29 inch draw, let's just say that. Mm-hmm. And their, their arrow length, if they're doing a drop away, mm-hmm. do you usually take the, 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 like the broadhead would be in the shelf. You know what I mean? So like the arrow might be a 27 inch arrow, 28 inch arrow, or do you recommend the broadhead be in front of the shelf because it's never, broadhead, I guess. So, um, if you, if you follow my stuff, you'll, you'll see that I'm a, a pretty big advocate for a lighter weight arrow with more FOC. The only way you're going to accomplish that is by shortening the arrow as much as possible by leaving an arrow, you know, like let's say the bow, the bows draw like this 29, the average bow, if, a, if it's a true 29, not a, manufacturer says it's 29 actually measures 29 and a half let's just say it's actually 29 almost every bow built that's 29 with a, a fall away rest on it not like drastically backing it up just a normal mounting position yeah is two inches short of that so right. uh, on actual arrow so personally i will pull a bow pull a bow back with an arrow in it mark the arrow at the launcher add a half inch to that and then go to the nearest quarter inch that it actually measures out in the saw and that's how long i'll cut the arrow for somebody nine times out of 10, unless they want it different. And that's largely because every inch you cut off your arrow is like three quarters of an inch better or four to center percentage. And it's running a stiffer arrow. So you now don't need as stiff of an arrow to achieve this, this mentality where we want all this weight in the front of the arrow. It's like super common now. And it, almost everybody's talking about it to some degree or another. Well, there's, there's ways that you can work that to your advantage, but you have to be able, willing to shorten the arrow. On that because now your arrow's got to be an inch longer to accommodate for that collar that weighs more so now you need a stiffer arrow so now your arrow weighs more now you've lost more foc it's a cascading effect so personally i try to cut arrows a half inch in front of the launcher and i don't use collars i'll use steel one piece inserts and things of that nature because they're way more durable than an aluminum one but the collar is not something that i personally add to that uh, but yeah, typically a half inch in front of the launcher is where i try to get people to go everything seems to function better and you don't need as stiff of an arrow to 
straighten it out with all that weight. You tune bows more and more and more, and you start doing that, and they tend to tune easier. I feel like I feel like I just heard a record from the Victory Archery podcast. No, I was, <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. It was like that's the exactly exact same what answer. He said. Exact same that's answer. Ex- that's why I was just curious. I was like, I gotta ask. Who'd you, you talk to? Who, who was on your? Nate, who was on your we're podcast? talking to Nate there. Oh yeah, I know Nate. I know Nate. Yeah, yeah. They he all knows the stuff, man. G- they all shoot light GPI arrows and short and adapters in front. And we we were talking about that when they first came out with light ones. I've been using a uh, an RIP Extreme Velocity or some variation thereof for like yep. five or six years before they were, most of them weren't even using it yet. I'm like, dude, you got to try this arrow. Cut it down here put a steel insert in it and go shoot it at stuff and it'll blow your mind what it will do. And it really will. I mean, if you, the best place to have weight in your arrow is in the front of the arrow, hands down, but you don't want to end up in a situation where you're shooting something that's so slow that the animals can literally walk out of the way before the arrow gets there and look at it. I mean, that's a problem. So I try to shoot the lightest GPI arrow that I can, that doesn't feel like it's going to break for no freaking reason at all and put as much weight in the front as possible. And right now, in general, that's Victory or Black Eagle, depending on what um, diameter you're trying to do. But when you go to a Black Eagle, now you're dropping down into like a, an X Impact where it's got a, a smaller OD and you got extended pieces that stick out the front and then you're creating another weak point. So it's really hard to beat 204 arrows because most of your insert or insert components are inside the arrow and they're not extended out of the arrow. So you have way less failure, way less bending. And there's a lot of variety of choices in 204s as well. Gold tip airstrikes are really good. Um, Easton just came out with that Sonic 6.0, which is basically a, a retreated hex. Uh, if I remember right, uh, the GPIs and everything looked just like the torch or hex from four years ago. They didn't use, do it in a 204, unfortunately. They went in that funky size that only they make. Mm-hmm. Um, but those lighter GPI arrows um, in stiffer spines are really where it's at if you ask me hands down it's just yeah. it's the smartest thing to use overall and it's regardless of what you're using it for um i i use 400 grain setups on elk and i've passed through i've passed through lots of elk at farther distances without too much of an issue if the if you have 15 percent in the front of that arrow it's going the direction you point it when it hits the animal it's not deviating in at different angles so it's it's pretty bomb proof if you grow your beard out another four inches um i swear we'd be talking to nate right now <laughs> well hey, yeah but if you, you put nate bit. next to me nate is not nate's like here oh so, yeah okay no. we saw <laughs> both of you guys sitting down so yeah yeah, yeah. well he's about as tall he's he's kind of i think he's about as tall as dan so i'm used to it we have block that i have dan stand on over stand next to each other when we're filming so it doesn't look ridiculous but he, i'm like a foot taller than dan so i love it so what have, what have yeah. you seen product wise has been like the most innovative thing or eye-catching thing that you've seen so whether it be rest yeah. stabilizer you know what do you release, like, like what, what's kind of the what's kind of the coolest thing that's caught your eye this year um well honestly and i think it's kind of a a bit of a broken record but integrating your your site through a riser is a pretty big deal it really is because it, it takes away so many problems the bows have had for so long you're no longer having that lean feel and if i don't know if you guys have actually built the bow fully integrated it and shot it but it doesn't lean it does not lean to the if you're a lefty it doesn't lean to the right when you fire it and if you're righty it does or if you're righty it doesn't lean to the right if you're lefty it doesn't lean to the left and it's noticeably different um and by by matthews because they own so much of the market doing that and using a conventional normal sized thing that a lot of people already made I think you're going to see every bow manufacturer go that way. Then you're going to see sites go that way. Now, as far as 
exciting, exhilarating sights to me. I, I love the dual track, but good luck getting it. I mean, they're, they can't, I've, I've got 500 of those things on order and I've seen 25 or 30 so far this year and they've been making them wow. since December. So they're, wow. they're way behind. Um, so that one's um, a very, very exciting site. I mean, I like the triple stack concept, but spot hog doesn't do uh, rail leveling. So like the part that moves up and down, you can't adjust it this way. And that becomes a problem at distance. And as a Western hunter, which most of my clientele is, um, they expect to be able to shoot their bow 80, 90, 100 yards accurately. Now, I don't encourage them to hunt at that distance, but they expect to be able to shoot their bow that far. Well, if you can't adjust the rail, you're going to run into left-right problems. And none of the spot hogs do that. Well, black golds do that. CBEs do that. Excels do that. You know, almost every target site on the planet does that. Uh, that's a very common thing. And unfortunately, they don't do that. So if I had a choice and everything was widely available, the landslide and the dual track are by far the two greatest sites on the market right now. By far, it's just good luck getting them. They're both pretty hard to get. Yeah. And uh, so as far as, <clears throat> as far as the bows go, you know, I know um, obviously, you know, the, your YouTube channels killing it. Great job. You know, over 1.1 million views, um, you know, when you, when you're seeing these bows, you're doing the videos, one of the things I noticed and, and it's not, um, I mean, it is what it is, but I'm just wondering from your perspective, it's been an issue at a, a pro shop level, uh, mm. is the concept that primes inline doesn't go to 31 inch draw. And, you know, they talked about it in this podcast that, you know, they just couldn't get to it with that cam, but are you seeing like a lot of issues where like people come in, they want a 31, they can't get in, they're mad at you or <laughs> like, what, no, you seen um, like that, I, I've ran into that with different bows over the years when their draw length spectrums don't fit, but I, and I don't know if it's just this area, but when prime went away from their dual cam system to a singular cam system, I've had like 10 people come in and ask to see one this year. Is it <laughs> now, it, which is abnormal. Like I probably had yeah. 40 or 50 people look at them last year at, by this time. Um, maybe more uh, prime's probably been my number four seller in the shop for the past couple of years, you know, it hasn't been like a barn burner by any means, but um, traditionally it's usually either Matthews or Botech and then Hoyt somewhere around there for us. Um, and Matthews this year is definitely selling more. I sold more Botech than Matthews last year, but uh, they, they're really busting the doors off. But um, I, I bet you I've had maybe 10, 15 people really ask to fire. It. I've had people pick it up and look at it, um, but I haven't really had them asking to, to shoot it. Now it's an amazing feeling bow. It really is, but um, it is a bit slower than the other bows in comparison as well. Um, so we haven't done really well with it in that regard. And I don't, so I don't think I have good information for you on whether or not I'm, there's a lot of negative feedback on the fact that they don't go longer than 30. I do think that's a, a very foolish thing because there's an awful lot of people that have longer than a 30 inch draw length and to not offer a product for them is basically, eh, I don't know, I'm not going to say idiotic, but maybe it wasn't in the financial cards to be able to redesign yeah. it or make a different bow. I mean, you just make a different brace height bow with a longer axle to axle and you can achieve that draw length on it. The fact that you're not doing it is kind of silly, but I've always questioned their, their mythology from their one, three, five standpoint and the bows all have the same draw lengths. Yeah. That's why that, that kind of seems, part. yeah. Well, they, really? they wanted to, uh, they wanted to simplify everything. And I imagine it, it allowed the limbs to all work exactly the same at the exact same poundages. So they could simplify the number of parts that they have to make would be my guess. 
but if you made a six inch brace height one inch uh 31 inch bow and a six inch brace height 35 inch bow you'd end up with different draw legs for that same cam assembly but for one reason or another they just don't um and maybe they i mean market does show that over 30 inches is a much smaller group of sales so i get why they maybe felt they didn't need to and maybe they're not selling so many bows that they really can justify covering six seven eight nine ten skews like some of the other manufacturers can uh, but I always kind of got the impression they did pretty good nationally, just not terribly good up here. So, but I don't know. That's kind of an odd one. I, I would have yeah. personally liked to see a longer draw length option for them. So one of the things that was, Oh, go ahead, Tim. Sorry. I was just going to say one of the things that became really popular really quick were the carbon bows. But you kind of mm-hmm. said, at least we've seen that kind of slow down in regards to mm-hmm. people really getting into carbon bows and wanting that. Have you kind of seen that on, the, on, on your side as well? Yeah, I think the uh, I think the idea at, at first was like really amazing height, and um, it's a it's a great idea when you think about it from a standpoint of when you see something that's aluminum and you see something carbon in other industries, it's like a drastically better, way lighter, really cool, blah blah blah, right? Uh, there's great advantages to that, but when you're putting out a product that's not really lighter or barely lighter, and up until this year, honestly, I'd never shot a carbon bow that felt better than its aluminum counterpart. If you really shot it a lot and worked with it a lot, they typically vibrated more. And that's typically a byproduct of a lighter bow. Usually a bow that weighs less will vibrate more. But this year, um, Hoyts feel better than their aluminum counterpart. That's the first time I've ever been able to say that. But that being said, you're also up to $1,850 and $1,900. I mean, you're, you're pushing yourself out of a, out of a consumer. And I don't, you know, I, I try not to, be really negative but even in my bow reviews of those bows i was like i just i still don't see nineteen hundred dollars in what this is um is it not is it nicer yes does it feel greater yes is it faster no is it lighter Eh, three tenths i mean that's not a lot i mean two tenths three tenths that's not drastic um so i i just i just think they'd if somebody would come to market with a fifteen hundred to sixteen hundred dollar carbon bow i think they'd crush it if it felt as good as their aluminum. I just think they've they've gone too far on the span of the difference in between them, to be honest. I think they're outpricing themselves. Yeah, yep. I wonder, and, and do you see a difference in, um, you know, because there's always this talk when I talk to like PSE, PSE suggests that, you know, and I can't tell because I can't cut their bow in half, but they said their <laughs> carbon bow has some sort of gel or something inside of it that takes away some vibration compared to Hoyt's but I don't I don't know like the inside difference you know what I mean like are you I thought it was foam something in there I don't know what they said they said there's some dampening thing built inside of it that's patented and whatever you know they won't say exactly what's in there or anything but I'm like well Mm -hmm. I should just buy and cut it in half but (laughs) (laughs) well let's see what uh, we got here folks well it depends I mean how it depends on how bad you want to know I wouldn't be opposed to it because I trade in ones and they they don't resell super well so I mean I get a year old one for about half ish so I mean it might be worth you know what 800 bucks to cut it in half and see what it looks like um but uh (laughs) if, if that's true I mean now, I know you get everybody's got different feedback and responses of what things feel like, but um, when you put a, a levitate against a RX-7 Ultra, that RX-7 Ultra has less vibration. Like it, in every one I've shot and every one I've tried, and granted, I've only shot three different levitates to be able to really see if yeah. maybe I happen to have one that vibrates worse. But they all kind of felt the same. They all pulled harder, and they all had quite a bit more vibration than the Hoyt. 
So if they do have some revolutionary stuff in there, I'm not sure what it's doing in comparison. But I know with the Levitate, they designed that deliberately to try to be really aggressive, get a lot of velocity. And they achieved that. But when you do that, you typically have more residual vibration and more felt shock. Now, maybe maybe I haven't felt one that feels incredibly better. But And I know, um, was it uh, what Field and Stream or whatever gave it the best bow of the year thing? But I don't, uh, I still don't see it in comparison when you shoot an RX-7 Ultra against that. The RX-7 Ultra feels drastically better. And nine out of 10 customers buy based off feel, at least for us. When you come in and test fire a bow, nine out of 10 people are walking with the one that they felt felt best. So I'm not sure yeah. how that one's winning that argument, unless the people that were testing it, which were all industry people, realize that felt vibration isn't that important. And maybe stats are that important because that bow is faster. It absolutely is. And it's got a more aggressive draw cycle, but you'll get used to that. So it's not really that big yeah. of a deal. But I don't think I've ever actually shot that bow. Um, generally, we do, when I deal with PSC, it's mainly just aluminum bows. I don't, I don't think yeah. I've ever, I don't think I've only shot one of their carbon bows over the years. That's why I was asking the question because I don't really have any experience with their their carbon compared to I, I always shoot the Hoyt ones Hoyt always takes part in our stuff but like they PSC doesn't with the carbon section of it so I, I don't ever know their carbon I, I don't know um just seems you know because they're really the only competitor realistic because I mean like what like Bowtech has one but it's not really the same carbon right it's like some sort of different process so Bowtech has a it's basically thermoplastic uh they'll call it Got carbon because there's some carbon I don't know if they sprinkle carbon dust in there or what they <laughs> call it carbon <laughs> But it's it's basically thermoplastics, um, which Martin came out with a thermoplastic bow at one point too, uh, and, you, and there's only certain loads you can put it on that makes it handle. But it is a uh, it's injection molded carbon is what they call it. But I, I I'm pretty sure it's thermoplastic, and they just call it something different. How does that bow do for you, the Zion? Oh, uh, it does okay. Um, we're we're unique because of where we're located that we don't get a lot of bid price customers, and I can't sell that bow online because they don't allow those sales. So, Got like, it. I would say nine out of ten bows that get sold out of here are a high-end bow. They really are. Um, we're good just because of where we are. You know, I've got a Cabela's and I've got a couple sportsman's warehouses within all within a half hour of me. Uh, and now North 40s, there's at least two North 40s within a half hour of me that all sell entry-level bows. And most people that are looking at an entry-level mid-price bow is usually a converted uh, gun hunter or muzzleloader bow hunter. So they tend to buy that first bow from a place that's gone so yeah. i'm not a general sporting goods store so that guy's normally not wandering around my store when he buys that mid-level price bow Makes um, sense, but yeah. we we do sell more um, of that bow in that price than any other bow in here but i don't think i'm a good representation of that to be honest because of my location where like i said we're out in the sticks people aren't just walking in to buy their first bow from me they walk in to buy their first bow from somebody else get frustrated because it doesn't work right and then they find it and then we fix them from yeah. there. And then they tend, and usually those people will retain, they'll get a lot better at the sport. And then they'll understand why a bow costs 1200 yep. instead of 800. So that second sale isn't usually an $800 bow. It's a $1,200 bow because it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it makes sense. So what's been your, what's been your favorite video you've worked on recently? Cause I know you've launched a couple of videos like this twin turbo one. Was that, as fast as you were thinking it was going to be or how'd you feel about that yeah i expected it to be about that speed i expected uh, most published bows to be somewhere between 12 and 25 slow of what they're published at 
Um, and that bow after how it felt, I actually thought it might be a couple feet a second faster after I pulled it back for the first time, especially at 80% because there's just no valley. It just it it's wants like what, to go. Five and, five and a half or something? <laughs> Brace height? Um, no, it's actually, so they call it five and seven eighths, but it measured six. Like I put a tape oh. on it with the grip on and it measured six. So I'm not sure why they called it five and seven eighths other than to call it a speed bow. But yeah, the one I got was uh, six and I actually got, I've gotten three and they all measured six. So I'm, I'm not sure why they why the, the difference there, but, and it, it felt like a, a fine bow, but I don't know if I'd give up the, uh, the comfort. feel and smoothness and comfort <laughs> of another bow for how yeah. that, how aggressive that bow feels. But once again, you'll get used to it. It's just most people in, in my experience over the years, which, I mean, I've been selling people bows since I was like 11, I'm 42. Wow. So Holy I was born God. into this. I was born into this field, and I was really good at archery since I was very little. And I was shooting a bow when I was like five. So um, I've dealt with people a lot, and almost every person that buys an aggressive bow trades that bow in in a year. Wow! A guy that buys about- a forgiving bow or an accurate bow, I don't get that bow traded in for three to five years on average. So Be- between the so the Bowtex for this year, and you know the stuff you're mm-hmm. selling right now. Mm-hmm. what's what's selling better for you the cp28 or the sr350 at this uh, point i guess revolt xl is my best selling Botech oh, at the moment so there you go yeah so it's not even so it's <laughs> well if you look at a if you look at a western bow typically typically a western bow is a little longer a little higher brace height Makes neither sense. of those yeah. two bows are that um if i was in yeah. eastern place i'd probably sell quite a bit more cp28s i would think because that's really yeah. more of an ideal tree stand ground blind shorter distance bow um, but typically, once again, my customers kind of get an education when they come in. So they understand what makes a bow shoot well and what doesn't. And once they've been in once or twice and asked enough questions, they're most likely not buying a, an extreme bow. They're usually buying something that's a little more forgiving. So I'll probably sell more Revolt XLs overall in the year. Um, the, the SR350 will probably be the second best seller. Uh, I'll probably actually sell Revolt X80s more than CP28s because I got, you yeah. know, a lot of meatheads running around the Pacific Northwest, you know, they, they want to <laughs> have that extra little juice and as much as, as much as it's kind of silly, we do sell a decent amount of them. But yeah, CP28 something that I'm not going to sell a lot of, uh, cause yeah, majority of flip. people don't buy a bow for that purpose here. Yeah. They'll make another bow work for that purpose. They'll still do that. But there's not a lot of people around here that primarily tree stand and ground blind hunt. Yeah, it's opposite here in Michigan. We all see exactly. it would be a huge seller here. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Compared to 100%. the others because of that. All tree stand hunting, 20 yard shots, six, you know. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's very easy hunting here when it comes to that. It's not like what you guys yeah. are doing. Well, um, if I was in that environment, I'd use that bow and I, I yeah, would buy it, a, a V3X exactly. 29 instead of a 33 if I was in that yep. environment because that fits the environment. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. There's such a variety. Hey, what's your thoughts on, um, I don't know if you had a chance to shoot this bow. I, I didn't see it on your uh, show, but I, the APA stuff, do you ever had a chance to shoot the hundred pounder? So no, I've, uh, <laughs> I, I've had to shoot hundred pound bows before I get clients that go to Africa and things of that nature. And they'll end up with hundred pound bows to hunt elephants. I got a bow downstairs right now for a guy that's going to, going to cape buffalo hunt in six weeks um so that's got to be excessive energy and excessive now bows are putting out enough energy now you don't have to use 90 or 100 pounds 
but I've had to do it before on a couple of different occasions. Uh, but that being said, once again, that's that's one of the bows that falls under the I need to be asked 25 times a year or more for one before I would carry it. And yeah. APA, I, I just yeah. don't get asked for it around here. Um, yeah. I've, I, I do get asked periodically. That one, that, that's one I get asked for more than some of the other ones, but it doesn't quite hit 25. And then the other one would be Athens. I get asked about Athens, yeah, but not 25 times a year. And if I don't get at least asked about it 25 times a year, I'm not very likely to sell very many of them. So it's hard to bring it in. I'd, what about Darton? I'd be happy we're doing Darton. Um, I do get some asks for, and we've got they've got a good sales rep in this area. He actually used to be the PSE rep, so he's got a, a long list of uh, relationships with people. So you're gonna you're starting to see Darton in this area, um, and he's supposed to come up, and I'm gonna review a few of them. Uh, and I was actually moderately impressed with uh, what they made last year. Honestly, it was actually pretty decent. It tested out kind of well. I never made a video on one, but I told him I'd, I'd take a look at it because I, I have a personal relationship, relationship with the guy. So I'll try to help him out if I can move it. But once again, I haven't had 25 people walk in my door and ask about yeah. that. So it's hard right. to warrant putting it on my wall. Darton's yeah. a Michigan company, you know, and, and they were... Mm -hmm. They were so big here, you know, when we were younger, mm -hmm. like huge, huge company. I mean, Darton was probably yeah. one of the first year I ever kills with Darton. And, yeah. uh, and I dealt with Darton for years. And then, um, they, they slowed down their marketing back in like 2014. We did a lot mm -hmm. with them when we started Boner Plant back in the day. And then after that, they kind of just went quiet. I don't know, Tim, if you would agree with that. They literally oh, yeah. just went dead quiet and they didn't, they didn't do any more marketing, at least with us, you know, they didn't do anything like that. And then, um, and then Randy bought them from Black Eagle Arrows, so now they mm -hmm. own them. And so mm -hmm. now he's, I think he's in that process of trying to get it, you know. And, and Randy knows marketing; he's the kind of guy who knows, you know. Randy's hey, a great guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I got to yeah. get this in front of these people and get in front of whoever I can, you know. I get he, but I think he's working. On it. I think it's taking a lot more than he thought. <laughs> it's not easy to own a boat company, that's for sure. I it would be really, really difficult to compete in that market oh. against Matthews, Hoyt, and Botek probably yeah. in that order um yeah. as far as marketing and i mean it's it's so difficult to make a bow without paying a ton of patent rights and royalties to people because almost everything that you would incorporate into your bow somebody else has a ride on i remember um yeah I, i'm sure this isn't true but i used to have a, a relatively good relationship with the guys at alpine before they sold that company and moved on but they had something like 120 dollars into patent and royalty rights before they ever started making a bow Wow. For everyone they made. Like they got to pay $120 to somebody else. I think part of that might have been to Darton. At that <laughs> yeah, time, yeah. probably. In the yeah. 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 No, they, there is, uh, there's definitely some of that. But that's a, that's a tough you, one. But yeah. Did you ever see the video? Uh, want to look at. Did you ever see the video of Jason Ballas from Outdoor Product Review when that Alpine blew up on him? <laughs> Hit him in the I face. vaguely remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I called him on that. I, I called him like, I don't know, it was like two years ago. I said, Jason, do you think it'd be okay if I use that video as like a training thing? He's like, oh yeah, do what you want with it, man. I was like, oh my gosh, that is going on TikTok for sure. But I think, there I mean, go. it comes over and it like falls all apart and it hits him like right above the eye. He had to get stitches. I was like, oh, oh my Jesus. gosh, dude. I was like, that was crazy, but I've never seen that. Like, and I was talking to Darton about that video and they said, that's what they call a catastrophic uh, explosion. It doesn't happen very often. They said, at least not in their bows. And he yeah. said, that's like a big deal. Like if something like that happens, so you, they have to like 
take like if that happened to Darton, you have to take every single piece you can f- recover and send it back to them so they can literally yeah. rebuild the bow and figure out what the hell happened. You know, I was like, wow, that's, sure. that's insane. What's, um, um, what's the dumbest thing you've seen a customer do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you put me on the spot there. Uh, okay. So I'll, I'll tell you a fun story. So uh, there was a period of time where we were open on the weekends when we had enough uh, help to try to see if it increased sales. Every time we tried to be open on like Sunday and Monday, it, ne- it never did. We ended up being open more, having more man hours and never sold any more goods because of it. Um, but I was always on call on Sundays in case it got really, really busy. And I had an employee uh, that uh, I love dearly. One of, he's one of my, he's kind of like a son to me a little bit. Uh, really, uh, he's still in the industry. He's not here anymore. He, he moved away and uh, worked for another shop. But um, he was the guy who never knew how to say no or couldn't ever tell somebody no. So he had somebody come in and demand that he change his strings while he waited. And on weekends, we don't do service work. You have to leave it. Drop it off. We'll call you when it's ready. You come get it. We don't do it while you wait in that instance. And I got called from on a Sunday that he said, he's just busy as all get out and I need help. And I come in and he's putting the guy's strings on, on my day off, making me come (laughs) in to work. And I was just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. So I started helping people out and whatnot. And I knew the customer. He had he always had kind of an attitude. He wasn't the nicest guy in the world. So I could see where he got kind of talked into it, although wouldn't have been able to talk me into it, but I see where he got caught, talked into it. <laughs> we used to have a bow scale out where you could check the weight yourself as a consumer, right? And uh, he gives the bow back to him. Everything's perfect. He shot it through paper. It's a clean hole. Everything's where it's supposed to be. He picks it up. He walks over to the scale, pulls it back and blows his bow up. Oh, <laughs> you know, you're gonna say you, you said used to. I knew there was something coming. We do not, we do not put a bow scale out where a customer can touch it. Ever. Yeah, oh my more. god. Um, but yeah, and so I he, he walks out and I just looked right at him and he goes, That's karma, man. <laughs> I had no way to fix it. He blew up a cam, it was the only string wow. left in the store that would fit his bow, and he was trying to go hunting in two days, and I'm like, Well. There you oh, go. we got another bow here for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just gathered up, out. gathered up his stuff and walked out. Because if you oh, pull, man. if you pull down on a scale like that and rotate your hands, you'll pull the string yeah. right off the cam. Yeah, which is no why doubt. you don't, why you don't let people have that. Yeah, very easy to that's do. Crazy. So that was, was probably at, uh, the most interesting story I think that I could probably. I was at uh, when I first started boner plant back in '09. I I used to go mm-hmm. into a local pro shop here. And I'd sit down and talk to the owner, like yourself. I'd come in, just be like, hey, you know, I just want to learn, right? I just want to learn anything I could mm-hmm. about the industry. So I'd mm-hmm. sat, I'd sit there, like, for, like, I had, like, every other Friday off at work. So I'd go in and hang out with Jim at his shop, and I'd sit there for hours just hanging out with him. And this one day, I'm sitting there, and this guy, this is a Matthews dealer, right? So he shoot, you know, mainly Matthews is a big thing there, Hoyt Matthews Prime at the time. Mm-hmm. This guy pulls back this bow, and it says, do not pull the bows back. Like it literally says that, but he didn't yeah. have it zip tied. They like literally says, do not pull these bows, you know? And so this guy pulls it back and, you know, of course he dry fires this Matthews bow. It's like a Z seven at the time. I don't know what it was, mm-hmm. whatever it was in 2012, 2009 over there, somewhere there dry fires it, it blows up. Right. So Jim gets up and I, I was like, Oh my God, this guy is dead. Like he is going <laughs> to kill this guy. But the guy was bleeding 
And so Jim, oh, I think all of a sudden he like, he, I think he went from being pissed to being like nervous. You know what I mean? Cause the guy, yeah. the string caught his chin and he was like, it cut uh, like a skin off, you know, it was like flapping. Like on his ch- yeah. Oh. So he, <laughs> I think he went from like seriously pissed off to like, Oh shit. Is my shit insurance kit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I send that the check? guy got oh, lucky. He was bleeding. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> he would have left her bleeding either way. Man. Yeah. You remember, you remember that one day at the, at the ATA show, we were watching people shoot at the shooting lanes. Oh God. And uh, somebody, what, what was it? It was somebody didn't, somebody put, didn't put the arrow on the rest. Right. And no it arrow. fell off. And he shot it, and all you hear oh. is the biggest whack in the world when that arrow nuts. comes off, and it, it hits his arm, goes flying like thirty feet to the right, like straight right yeah. angle to the right down the shooting lanes, and everybody just looks like, "Holy crap!" The guy just takes the bow, looks at it, and he's—you can see the huge welt on his forearm, right? I mean, yeah, this I don't thing know what off. hit his arm or how. It, it, he just looks at it. He puts the bow down and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> that was scary that was over by darton i think i don't know whose boat wasn't me yeah. i think it was wasn't I think me. it was a PSE boat. <laughs> oh my god those guys what, what's your thoughts weird. on this uh you know i know you mentioned you guys do some crossbow not a ton but what's your thoughts mm-hmm. on the 500 feet you know i mean is this too much too little where, where are you at with that in your mind at least um you know, I've never been one to try to restrict speed and say that there's there's a too much thing there. I mean, that I, I'd like to see full seasons everywhere where that's considered a, a legit weapon, just like everything else. And there's a lot of states that don't have them. And, um, I mean, it's def- it's still slower than a bullet by quite a long shot. Yeah, know? by a long so shot. So I, I, don't, I don't see an <laughs> issue there. Um, I, I shoot compounds a lot faster than most people say you should. I tune broadheads a lot faster than most people say you should. And I've never really had issues, but it's, it's a matter of working through it. When you get up to that 500 feet a second, you can't just screw something on and hope it's going to work. You're going to have to test it a little more thoroughly. You're going to have to prove it a little more thoroughly. And if a person's going to take it seriously, then I don't see any issue with it. But the faster you go, the more finicky things are. You just have, everything just has to be that much more perfect. Yeah. I think, I think that's one of the things that's a little bit different about, um, crossbows and compounds is the advertised speed mm-hmm. and compounds is usually less right when you actually For shoot sure. them and throw them throw through throw them through a chrono mm-hmm. the crossbows that we've been seeing have actually been more um sure. like that 500 that we that yeah. that raven we threw it through and i think it came out at 507 i want to say mm-hmm. maybe 503 503 or 507 no 508 mm-hmm. i think was it 508 yeah it was like 508 and the, and the 10 the, point came in at five 513 yeah so the, like and that. that's yeah so night the the 10 point nitro has a 505 and uh, that actually came in at 513 but we see that kind of consistently around across crossbows is that mm-hmm. if they say 440 you're probably getting somewhere around 444 445 or something like that so it's it's pretty as advertised in that world which is uh unique well it, yeah. it is from a standpoint that people haven't really been you know, progressively running to the store to buy a new crossbow that's four feet a second faster than last year's crossbow. Right. So they've always yeah. published a, a speed that just simply says, because it's being drawn to the same length for everybody. So there's really no variables. Right. So it, it draws from here to here, no matter what. And they tell you what weight they shot it with and what arrow they put through it and what weight. It's a pretty fair test and it should be duplicatable no matter what. Whereas yeah. in the compound archery thing, there's all kinds of funky. Oh, the arrow alone. How many variables do you have on that? I mean, we talked all about the, the arrow length. 
and and well, where you, yeah. you know what i mean yeah you can make you can make four arrows that all weigh the same shoot different speeds through a bow but yep. they, they go a lot farther than that what they're testing you can't functionally use in any facet yeah. Yeah. Um, and i i've one of my i've got a, a video list about yay long of ideas that's just like one line and one of them is to cover everything that a bow manufacturer typically does to make their bow go faster in a test so the average consumer realizes that this is how much you should take off of that speed is the best you're ever going to get on something that you're actually going to be able to functionally use. for a hunting rig yeah um, yeah because they there's just a whole bunch of a funny business with that and i wish they'd kind of stop that i mean you at least got to put something you could functionally shoot down range that you're testing you can't you can't say yeah if you draw the bow back until it stops and fire at the, the millisecond it stops that that's how fast the bow is it's like well i understand it's faster that way but you can't shoot it that way so why would you test it that way yeah, absolutely but yeah, yeah, the, yeah. each one of those little things that they do add the foot here or two feet there to get that extra 10 to 15 that they're supposedly getting claiming um, yeah. yeah, that they're claiming, uh, but even some of them, when you when you get a big variable, you'll call them and talk to them about it, and they'll tell you that, well, this is what we got, and it's not that number. It's close to that number, but it's not that number. Um, and I think they're just worried that if they're not launching a product that's faster than last year's product or faster than brand A, B, C, or D, that they're not going to sell. So they just keep kind of fudging a little more and a little it's more. Deception, yeah. It is. Well, we've had that even on our own videos where we've shot them and we've, we've, uh, we've had to call, you know, the manufacturer and be like, listen, we're just not seeing it on here. And though there, there's been a couple of times, um, where they've asked for it back, right. Where they, they want to do testing on that one that mm -hmm. we've shot and they sent it sent us another one and we've gotten a different result with, with it. So, um, yeah, it, it's kind of, but that's a thing though, is like, a lot of people are buying for weights nowadays. They want that bigger speed, but I, in all honesty, it doesn't really matter. Right. I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of people that end up coming in, buying their first bow thinking, you know, oh, my, my first bow, I need a 70 pound and I need it as fast as possible. Um, but you're going whitetail hunting. And well, it depends you what you're doing that, though. Right. Yeah, white, he's not whitetail hunting. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It does yeah, matter my, to him for him. My, my That's beer why. Is, it is a subspecies of deer, but it's quite a bit bigger. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Oh, yeah, whitetail, white, whitetail, this, most of the philosophies and things that people are all focused on are just idiotic for a 200-pound animal or 300-pound yeah. animal. You don't need that. Now, if your bow's not tuned right, yeah, sure, you do. But because every time, if you have a bow that's not tuned and that arrow does this in flight, it's losing energy every time it does that. And by the time it gets the animal, it's lost 20, 30, 40% of its energy on top of what it already normally would have lost. And that's where you run into problems. If things yeah. are tuned and tuned correctly and your broadhead and your field point are going in the same spot, you're going to go through whatever you shoot at unless you shoot it in the hardest part of the animal, which you shouldn't be shooting at anyway. So that brings up it. a great question for you. This one you're going to love because technically, since you're a pro shop, you're doing all this. Mm -hmm. it, when it comes to tuning... Uh, those mm -hmm. bow manufacturers, right? We got Elite, we got Bowtech with these systems that they have to help tune their bow, and then you got Matthews. Mm -hmm. Who's the, who's the easiest to tune for you as a pro shop out of those brands? Oh, Bowtech has them. That's why I figure because that not even not even close, moving, right? I would love, 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 love if everybody would be able to license that technology and put it in their bow, uh, because it makes my job super easy. Now, granted, 
It also allows a consumer to monkey with it, and that can be good and bad. Um, it's very hard to beat Matthew's top hat system because a consumer is not typically going to be able to monkey with it. So once we set a wheeling and the wheels are leaning correctly and it's tuned correctly, they can't really screw it up. Uh, whereas if you start monkeying with your, your drive system on a Bowtech, it's pretty easy. It's very easy to change. But for the moderately educated consumer, it's great because if he's got a problem, he can call me and I can tell him what to do. And he doesn't need nice. any additional parts. I'd love to see that system, but it would almost be like awesome if we could permanently lock it and like unlock it with a button once they understood <laughs> yeah, what they were doing. So One of those security okay. screws, yeah. yeah, that you need a yeah, special okay, tool. Ahead. Yeah, go ahead and do it. All right, now you get done. Good. Lock that bitch back down. Don't touch it. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, as far as ease of tunability, I mean, you can't beat that system. I mean, these these shim adjustable systems. Are, are way beyond what we used to have to mess with. And they're great, but they're still somewhat coarse adjustments. You can make as small of an adjustment as you want with that cam system. And you can't beat that. So I like to do when I'm setting up a bow to begin with, I like to draw it back in a draw board all the way, put a spot hog laser on the cams and make sure they're pointed perfectly straight at each other. And with that, I can actually draw it back, put the laser on it, walk over and turn it till it's pointed perfect, lock it down, do the other side and it's done. They're square. And if you do that with that bow and you have a reasonably spined arrow and that rest is 13 16th off at a 90 degree angle in the best time, it's shooting a hole through paper or it's defective. Like it'll yeah. shoot a perfect bullet every time you fire it. You'll never have to move it if those are perfectly pointed at each other. And that's, that's hard to, it, well, it is. <laughs> it, it is if you can actually do it that easily. It's when you have to start disassembling and reassembling things to try to get it right, which is... Yeah. Part of the beauty of what we do is a bow won't leave here like that wrong. It won't. Like we're, we're assemble it, tune it, get it square, shoot the paper, everything's perfect. Have a nice day. Yeah. And then I don't see it with problems later. And we can function yeah. and manage with the staff that we have selling, you know, 700, 800 bows a year to people yeah. and actually yeah, being able amazing. to maintain it because you're not fixing stuff all the time that doesn't work correctly. Too cool. All right, Josh. Thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on with us and hanging out. This is a good time. I learned a lot of stuff today, so I appreciate that. It's really nice to talk to someone who does it at a pro level, in my opinion, when it comes to tech stuff. It's really eye-opening. So you learn, you, you learn a lot doing this stuff. And I've always looked at myself as more of a consumer-based person. Like, I'm a guy who walks into a store and buys something. I'm yeah. not someone who's a tech person. Like, so I love watching your stuff for that to get more of the deep diving into the, you know, bows and all that stuff. It's really good information. And um, if you guys haven't seen it, Podium Archer on YouTube, awesome content, amazing detail. And uh, Josh does not mess around. Obviously he knows his crap better than anybody I've seen. So you're going to see a lot more. Friend. You're going to see a lot more of the uh, technical aspect of it this year. Awesome. Um, so Excellent. we've got, we've gone through most of the bow reviews and I'm going to start working down more of the technical stuff. I just, I want people to get better. And it's blatantly obvious that there's a lot of parts of the country that don't have a lot of help. So they're, they're using the resources that they have access to. And hopefully that'll make a difference to most people. No, that's well, awesome. I man. Know, we can't wait to see the stuff, man. I know who I'll be calling when I have questions on these bows. So <laughs> you're, you're in trouble. My, you got, you. You're in you, trouble. You got, you got my cell phone number. Just don't publish it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll be calling Got a lot you of questions it. here and there i get real Absolutely. confused i'm like oh man i don't get it <laughs> all right happy man. to help man thanks a lot man we'll see ya
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.